welcome to Book Chatter, the monthly book club podcast sponsored by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Josie, your host for this episode, and with me are Denise, hi, Devin, hello, and Jana to discuss our latest pick, Full Body Burden by Kristen Iverson. Um, before we dive into the uh, meat of the author book, the author bio and book blurb, um, we're going to talk about what we're reading. Um, and what we want to read. I'll go first. So I'm reading a book by Richard Kalenberg, and it's called Excluded, How Snob Zoning, NIMBYism, and Class Bias Build the Walls We Don't See. <laughs> and lovely. Uh, it's really, really, really good. His basic premise is um, class is kind of the last um, discrimination that's okay, mm. that you know, it, it's looked upon as okay to have an exclusive neighborhood and to zone so you don't have multifamily homes, you don't have duplexes, you don't have townhomes where poorer people could actually afford to live. Hmm. So you use zoning as a way to exclude those that you think will make your neighborhood look bad. The new redlining? We'll, yeah, it's the new redlining uh, that will... Uh, clog your streets that will um, make your schools too full that will make your home prices go down so it's it's very good and if you ever listen to any of like the city council meetings or things and people are against something usually an apartment being built in their area maybe they have legit concerns but you could you'll hear the same excuses that it'll change the look of the neighborhood and traffic's going to be an issue and but then they want to complain about homeless people, but they don't want to do anything to to build places where people could live. Um, anyway, it's really, really good, and it's a little repetitive. I think you could probably do with an article, <laughs> not a whole book, but I'm really enjoying it. And yeah, that's, that's what I'm reading. I, I have quite a few things on my to-read list. I can't think of any right off the top of my head that come to mind. But what about you, Devin? Well, I, um, of course, just finished this book that we're about to discuss, um, and then I have two books on my to-read list. And I normally read a couple books at a time, but this time I was just reading Full Body Bird. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start Rocky Mountain High by Finn Murphy. Um, mm-hmm. It is a nonfiction book by a local author. We're actually having him in the library to do a program and a book talk on August 17th, and it is um, a kind of a memoir-type book about his um, year spent trying to grow hemp here in Colorado Mm -hmm. and how terrible that was. (laughs) Um, He's a great guy. I really recommend everybody coming out and listen to him talk. He's a lot of fun. He's a good Um, author. Yeah. yeah. And then for myself, I am going to, um, it's not out yet. So I've got, I've got a hold on the ebook and I've got a hold on the print book. Um, The title is Young Queens, Three Renaissance Women's and the Price of Power by Leah Redmond Chang. Uh And it's about uh, 15th century queens and all that nerdy stuff that you guys know I love. <laughs> what about you, Jana? I want to recommend a book by Swedish novelist Ulf Benzler. Um, it's called Couple's Trip. It's a novel. And I got it to go on a trip. It's sort of like a beach read thriller, but I was attracted to it because it is set in northern Sweden in the wilderness, and it involves two different couples um, that are backpacking together. And it's good. So it's fiction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. And then I am also reading Tell Me What You Want, A Therapist and Her Clients Explore Our 12 Deepest Desires by Charlotte Fox Weber. 
And I do order books for the 100s, which is psychology, self-help, philosophy. So this is by a therapist. And I thought it was super interesting to get like a view from the other side of the couch, so to speak. It's her, it's like 12 different chapters with different clients and different issues that they come to her for. So I thought that was fascinating. And it's great to think more about the way that everyone has, you know, their own struggles and we don't really talk about it. Sure. But you can read about it in this book. Um, And then the one that I want to finish reading is Finding the Mother Tree, um, Mm. Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest by Suzanne Sinar. And she talks about the associations between roots and fungi, which are the mycorrhizae. And it's a fascinating scientific book slash memoir. It's kind of like this in that it's scientific, um, but also the story of um, her own life and um, studying these connections. Um, So I recommend that as well. I like books like that. (laughs) What about you, Denise? So I just started on um, Susan Orleans on animals. Really love the library book. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I'll try something else by her. And it's very different. Um, I just cracked into it. So, um, so far, I'm, I, I really like it, but I'm not very far into it. So I don't know. But she's a great writer, very easy to read, but also she gives you really good information. It is nonfiction. And then um, on my list of my 20 plus page list of <laughs> to read is it's called Smart. But it's like capital S, lowercase m, capital A, capital R, capital T. It's like some art. The subtitle is Use Your Eyes to Boost Your Brain. And it was a very fascinating kind of title. I showed it to my husband, too, who's a graphic designer. And he was interested in it as well. So I huh. think at some point we'll probably both read it and maybe have our own little book club or something. That's fine. But yeah, I, I like books about you know creativity and the brain and stuff like that. So Yeah, that sounds interesting. I might have to add that one. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> All right. So a little bit about Kristen. She grew up in Colorado and writes literary nonfiction and fiction. She's a two-time winner of the Colorado Book Award. Her books include Full Body Burden, Growing Up in the Nuclear Shadow of Rocky Flats, Molly Brown, Unraveling the Myth, Shadowboxing, Art and Craft in Creative Nonfiction, and a forthcoming literary biography of Nikola Tesla. She is also editor of the anthology Doom with a View and co-editor of the anthology Don't Look Now, Things We Wish We Hadn't Seen. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, The National, The Nation, Hotel America, The American Scholar, and others. Full Body Burden has been chosen by more than 30 universities around the country for their Common Read First Year Experience programs and is the subject of a forthcoming documentary. It has also been optioned for a major TV series. Dr. Iverson has taught at universities around the country and abroad and is currently professor of English and creative writing at the University of Cincinnati. So um, we're going to give our star reading for these, this book. Uh, Devin, why don't you start us out again? Okay. Um, I really enjoyed this book. It was, it's a nonfiction book. It could be considered maybe a boring topic if some people weren't, wasn't interested in, in this topic, in which I wasn't. And I picked it up and immediately was sucked in. Mm-hmm. It's a page turner. It's easy to read. Um, I read the I read the print format. I didn't listen to it, so I can't speak to that. 
I read this book very quickly and I enjoyed it a lot. And she is a good writer, in my opinion, and I give it four and a half stars. Awesome. But you, Jenna? I thought this was an impressive work. I liked how she, she said, I listened to an interview with her and she said, I wanted to write uh, a journalistic piece because she was trained in journalism um, that reads like a novel. I think she succeeded. Um, the personal elements really drew me in. And I learned about an issue that I was not super knowledgeable about. Um, that I think is very important in terms of our history here in Colorado and really the world and environmental legacy of nuclear waste. It is kind of a call to action. I think even though it was published in 2012, it feels still very relevant today. And I think that we need to spread the word more about this book and this subject and we need to think more about it. I give it four stars because for me, it was a little bit tough to read this in the summer. It's just a very heavy read. It's overwhelming, and it's just hard to take it sometimes. Um, so that's why I get it for stars. It's a lot of information. It's a lot of facts, and it's you know it's kind of depressing, like a lot of environmental topics. But that doesn't fault the writing at all. It's an excellent book. All right, Denise, what are your what is your thoughts on the book? I loved it too. I really did. Uh, I also like nonfiction. And a while back, I probably wouldn't have been as interested in something like this. Um, although I do love a good documentary. I'm kind of <laughs> a nerd about that. And I've watched things about like Three Mile Island and Chernobyl and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But because this is so close to home for me, I grew up in Denver, born and raised. I remember hearing the news stories, reading in the paper, people talking about it, you know. And so you get a lot of opinions, a lot of perspectives. And so I think connecting back to my own memories made a difference. And the fact that both my parents have had cancer, which could be coincidence, by the way. But yeah, it was a heavy read. It was, I didn't read anything else at this time. I did listen to the audio because I've, I read the print book before, about mm -hmm. a year ago. How was the audio? The audio was good. It was not her, but it was not the author, but I think the narrator was good. I'm always interested. Yeah. I mean, I almost kind of believed it could have been her, if that makes sense. Sometimes it feels like the narrator doesn't sound like the voice you think the author would be, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, and I think she read it pretty well. So I definitely gave it five stars. I oh. I would read it again and again. Wow. I think it's something that you get a little bit, you get layers Probably so, each yeah. time, you know, or you can focus on certain, maybe more on her personal story or more on um, the, the Rocky Flats part of it, depending. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, very important book. All right. I'm going to go four and a half stars. I was fully invested in the book. I've read it very quickly. Pages just flew by. Um, the fact that it was nearby was fascinating and gave it a little more immediacy. The only reason I don't give it five stars is I did I did like her personal story, kind of juxtaposed to the Rocky Flat story. But I I don't know. I felt like they kind of were disjointed sometimes, but maybe you guys will help me figure out how they kind of had a connection. I'm sure there were deep connections there <laughs> that I didn't pick <laughs> up on, but that's just me. So yeah, four and a half, four and a half stars. It was a great book. Yeah, it was. Um, 
you all should read it. Yes. We have some questions here. Before you read this book, how much did you know about Rocky Flats? Uh, and for me, I, I'd heard of it. My husband was born in Longmont. So, you know, he grew up hearing about it. And I knew that it was a nuclear facility and that it was polluted. But that was pretty much all I knew. I didn't really realize how far away the plume and the debris and the pollution went. Um, I do wonder how much settled in Longmont. Um, I know settled in Boulder probably, right? It, it looks like from the maps it got kind of to Lafayette, Louisville. Yeah, it's like a downwind. Yeah, but um, so yeah, that's kind of what I knew about it, but I didn't, I didn't know it's a long legacy. Huh. You know more than me. <laughs> yeah, um, I knew nothing. I've never heard of this place before in my life. I moved to Colorado in 2012 when this was published and, you know, obviously it was not the first book I picked up, but uh, yeah, I knew nothing and that's really scary and yikes. Mm -hmm. Now I know what's wrong with all you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, I, I grew up in Denver, although I was on the east side of Denver and I remember, um, you know, it's, it sounds terrible now, but you know, as a kid, um, if someone, you know, came to our school, like who had lived on the West Side Town, who lived in Arvada or, you know, somewhere mm -hmm. like that. Um, it's like, oh, we'll make sure you're not crying a second head, you know, oh are you glowing? And because oh. people knew, you know, by then and what it really was. And it wasn't so much a mean, I mean, anything that had to do, if you mentioned Rocky Flats, it was like glow in the dark, grow another head, having, you know, some kind of, um, because I guess then too, you had so many different sides of it and I think still removed enough as a kid that you didn't fully understand. I mean, really trying to comprehend cancer and something that something that is, is deadly for thousands of years. It's a little hard to wrap our head around. So maybe that was a, a coping mechanism or something like that. But so like I say, I knew what my parents discussed or what was at school, current events. You know, when you bring the newspaper articles in for school and talk about it. Um, I knew there were activists and groups that were opposed to it. And I knew that there was a lot of concern. And um, but there's sides that are going, oh, they're, you know, those activists are just crazy people. And they're mm -hmm. just, you know, they're extremists. And then there's and we need the jobs. We need this. And then there's the side that's. This is terrible and people are going to die and people have died and we need to get this taken care of. And, oh, no, no, we need the jobs. We need to protect the country. We need to make sure that we are not more vulnerable to Russia. And so, you know, trying to figure out it as an adult is one thing, but trying to f kind of wrap your head around it and figure out what's really going on as a kid. It was, you couldn't, mm -hmm. you really couldn't. Mm -hmm. um, so when I saw the book, I was like, oh, this is great because I can really fresh eyes as an adult and a lot of the information that either I'm not going to delve into as a kid or as a middle school or whatever mm -hmm. and be able to really kind of look at it again. So, yeah, that was, yeah, pretty mm -hmm. personal. What yeah. about you, Jan? Um, I just feel really because um, I lived in South Boulder when you know this lawsuit was going on. Um, it was 
26-year legal battle. My husband was at the law school and they had a class where the firm that was representing the residents came in because he specialized in environmental law. Um, he remembers, you know, how they said that for the cleanup, they had removed like the top six feet of soil. And, you know, they talked about that. They learned about that. And I just have no memory of, you know, discussing that or reading about it in the time, at the time. Um, I, I just had this vague notion of what it was. And reading this book really opened my eyes about the contamination. And we drive that road to Golden all the time to go skiing, um, to go to the mountains. It's such a beautiful drive. We passed the Rocky Flats Lounge. Yep. You know, yes. Still there. So yeah. new name. Same yeah. Class. I just I'm so deeply disturbed <clears throat> and I'm I feel so ignorant. Will yeah. you change anything in your day to day life because of this? I mean, I don't think I'll visit the refuge. I won't either. Uh, but I didn't, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, it wasn't like on my, it wasn't on my to-do yeah, list right. anyway. But yeah, I have some concerns, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because I spent yep. a lot of time outside and just the fact that it was coming down in the snow and where does it all end up? And it's still in the sediment at Stanley Lake. And yet that is still the drinking water for many, many residents. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is anymore. No, I just looked it up. If you go to Stanley Lake's website, yeah, is, you can yeah. recreate there. You can get an SUP stand-up paddleboard pass, um, and it serves the drinking water for wow. many, many in the Denver area. God. Yeah. <laughs> and a few weeks ago, the end of July, I think, was the Dragon Boat Festival. And my daughter wanted to go because there was booths and the, and things that she wanted to see so we went down there and I'm reading the book you know she's like I want to go to Stanley Lake and I'm like all places <laughs> you know no. this is where you pick right now yeah we've <laughs> never been there as a family I hadn't been there since a field trip maybe like third grade we went to the fire station at Stanley Lake mm-hmm. you know and looking back I'm like oh no we were there for like you know a couple hours <laughs> and so the whole time we're there I'm looking around and I'm going this is really beautiful and really idyllic but you feel this sort of feeling that something's lurking, you know, like in the back of my brain, I kept thinking, should we be here? Should we be oh, here? Wow, yeah. <laughs> um, it was a little harder to enjoy, but yeah. Um, and it definitely was hard to picture what she described, um, you know, swimming, diving, out, coming out of that, standing on top of the pipe. Mm-hmm. Like none of that's there anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was a little hard to kind of place it. But yeah, it was a little, a little strange to yeah, be there. Yeah, that is weird. But it's a very beautiful place, too. I posted on Nextdoor about that I was reading it and how good of a book it was and other people should read it. And one guy responded and he said, I had a couple friends who worked there. And he said they gave the ultimate sacrifice for the country. Hmm. And, you know, that, that bothered me. And I didn't know why it bothered me. And then I was thinking, so, you know, a soldier... They, if they die, uh, they, they're giving the ultimate sacrifice. But they, they were told, you know, they knew right. going in mm-hmm. what those dangers were. Yeah. But these people that worked there, they were told it was safe. Mm-hmm. You know, so so they did sacrifice for their country, but they they did so knowing without it. knowing it. Yeah. Right. And which, that's the issue I have as well: which the is, secrecy and the lies and the cover up. Yeah. Like if you want to. And yeah, at one point they weren't allowed to access their medical records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then they talked about even some of the managers were like, well, 
I don't care because by the time all of this comes down, I won't, I won't be in this job anymore. I'll be long gone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 All right. In this book, the author weaves together two narratives, a memoir of growing up in Arvada and a historical account of Rocky Flats and the nuclear industry. What effect did moving back and forth between the two storylines have on your experience of reading the book? Did you find one of the two storylines more compelling than the other? Can you think of a different way the book might have been structured? Um, I, I liked the way it's set up. I always like a little bit of you know personal story inter- interwoven with you know facts and interesting you know things that I can learn. It was like two, the two stories were like the this authoritative figures that were just letting everybody down. You know her father such mm. a terrible father and let her whole family down and let her down and the government and the people who were supposed to be watching out for us. Um, and, you know, like the EPA, they were letting the community down um, and the workers down. And so, yeah, it was these two parallel stories of kind of the same theme, I guess, mm-hmm. going on. Um, I, I really liked it. I don't think that I God, if I had to pick one story over the other, I think I would pick the Rocky flat story um, that evoked for me, a lot more emotion mm-hmm. and it wasn't like a feel-good emotion it was like an anger and kind of scared and just so frustrated mm-hmm. with the way our government treats us and they still treat us and they just are telling us pat pat on the top of the head everything's going to be okay and then you know 20 years later we find out you know this is not the first time this has ever happened, you know, I mean, I'm sure everyone's seen like Aaron Brockovich. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. They're just lying to people to make money and to avoid responsibility. And then the common folk suffer. Mm-hmm. That's the story yeah. of our nation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and her personal Absolutely. story was great, yeah. too. It's very tra- It's very sad. It's very, tra- very sad. It's very tragic. That was more like I kind of felt sorry for her. It wasn't so emotional. Mm-hmm. I mean, the anger was the more emotional. Yeah. Intense emotion. Yeah, I loved how she mirrored the failure of the institutions Mm -hmm. uh, and the government on a large scale with the failure of the institution of family for herself and the marriage of her mother and reading this. And her own marriage. Yeah. It just affected me deeply for the generation of our mothers and what they went through and the debt, the, the husbands that were just absent. And that happened in my family too, multiple times. And you know, she has the burden of that and the scars and the, the title, the full body burden. And she ties that in with her own scars on her body and just a relationship. She writes, I like, I love this quote. It says the body is an organ of memory, bearing traces of all our experiences. The land too carries the burden of all its changes to truly see and understand a landscape is to see its depths as well as its smooth surfaces, its beauty and its scars. And yeah, the alcoholism and the poor mother who she had this like idealized vision of marriage and children. And she ended up taking naps in the day in this dusty bedroom and telling her daughter, don't leave me. Yeah. And like all she could do was go to coffee clutches. She had no, there was nothing going on for her intellectually. Yeah. Um, and then her husband was just absent, drunk. I just, it made me so happy that I don't live in that society anymore yeah yeah Yeah. and she'd given up you know dreams of something wonderful you know she was going to be a nurse and she you know and of course could have been a mom and a nurse um it's common now but yeah kind of having um good things that were supposed to be 
I think also kind of runs through that too, because people, you know, there were people that had the, uh, I, I don't know if they were, it was like a willing to overlook or willing to accept what was going on because at, at Rocky Flats because they needed the job because it paid well because so there was a sometimes kind of a strange loyalty I know this isn't good I know this isn't safe but I need this job yeah, I need to eat yeah so on. I'm going to in some ways defend it was a strange dichotomy yeah In 1978, protesters were tried for trespassing and attempting to obstruct the the activity of Rocky Flats. They based their defense on the little-known choice of evils law in Colorado. The law says that an illegal act is justified if it is done to prevent a greater imminent evil or crime. The judge decides that the law isn't applicable in their situation. Do you agree with the judge's reasoning? Have you ever been in a situation where this law might have been applicable? I have never been in that situation, and I don't agree with the judge. Um, I Here's my thought on this kind of stuff. Um, protest. Protest all you want. I support your right to protest 100%, and I'll be out right there with you. I, what I don't support is you blocking the roads and you throwing, um, like, oil and paint on famous paintings. That I'm not okay with. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's how I feel. Um, protest all you want, but don't block the roads. Uh-huh. That's That, to me, is not okay. Okay. So no lying in front of the trains and no, none of that. No, none of that. No don't sitting disturb, in a tree. Don't disturb other people's stuff. Sit in a tree. I don't care. Well, I mean, like you know, people who are going to log loggers are going to cut down the tree. People um, get up in there and hang out. No, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I don't like these people blocking the roads and like ambulances are trying to get through and you know everyday Joe's just trying to get to his job. That I'm not okay with. Huh. So stuff that's directly directly mm-hmm. um, addressing it, the issue. Yeah. But not dragging. Yeah, don't other- don't involve other people who may not agree with you or her may just want to go on along with their yeah. lives. Don't do that. I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, I feel like you really do lose your credibility and your message you really gets, I don't know, watered down or tainted or something when you go beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're inconveniencing you're- people and you're making people upset. Right. They just don't want to listen to you. Well, mm-hmm. at any time, I mean, and, and not that it happened in this case, but. If you're looting, if you're rioting, if you're, you know, yeah, then it's like, okay, do you really have a cause or are you just about causing that? Yes. And then I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm out. But they circled, you know, they circled, they did that seven mile or 11 mile or whatever was hands around the the thing. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. They did some great things. I don't love releasing balloons because that's littering, but okay. Back then it was different. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they definitely did a good job of bringing awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, there were different um, different perspectives back then. It was definitely a different culture. And I think I think they also felt like it was such a big machine that they were fighting against. You know, you're going against a lot of government agencies and big corporations and nobody's listening and it was life or death. And so I think they felt that it wasn't just, you know, this is my idea. This is my belief. But it's like serious to the point that they thought they needed to meet that with a similar energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they were effective at definitely getting the word out because we all knew about Rocky Flats. We knew it was there. By then we knew what it what it was for, what they were doing. But you know, but you don't know until someone starts telling you that what you're not hearing, what's getting swept under the rug. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a tough one, but I I don't think two wrongs make a right. Right. 
Right. <laughs> Full Body Burden contains many surprising facts about Rocky Flats and about radioactive contamination, such as the fact that a single microgram of plutonium is potentially a lethal dose, or that in 1970 there was no emergency response plan to protect the public in the event of a major disaster at Rocky Flats. What fact made the deepest impression on you? What do you think, Jana? Yeah, I, I have several. Um, I'm going to read them. <laughs> yeah. um, she writes, official estimates of how much plutonium was burned or released in the 1957 fire varied widely, 500 grams to as much as 92 pounds of plutonium or more. And this was, I believe, the second fire um, to occur. Uh-huh. Yeah. By comparison, Batman, the bomb dropped on Nagasaki, is fewer than 14 pounds of plutonium. And later she writes, some experts, despite the government insistence that there had never been a criticality at Rocky Flats, believe that a criticality accident producing various fissioning products may have occurred on September 11th, 1957. And that the final price tag of 70.7 million um, would break all previous records for any industrial accident in the United States. Roughly $20 million worth of plutonium um, was consumed. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, just the, the price tags and how we were spending all this money on such a destructive and horrible thing for thousands and thousands of years into the future. I mean, 24,000 years is the half-life mm-hmm. of plutonium. She mentions that over and over. And yeah, yeah just, I'm so disturbed. It is disturbing. It's massively disturbing. Yeah. There were so many things that you just kind of stop and go, wait, what? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you think about it. And, I did too. And oh, then you go so back. Yeah. And be like, right. Yeah. And you stop and think 20. Okay. So like it's 240,000. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna have to maintain whatever kind of um, cleanup. Mm-hmm. If it, you know, for that long. Yeah. How do you mean? I don't know. Well, and I also, you know, a lot of it went kind of back and forth as to it's safe. It's not safe. Mm -hmm. Throughout it, it was like, oh, well, we've we've taken these measures and now it's safe. Well, then you're like, yeah, no. And then they find it's not. You have this big thing where you have these events, right? You have the fire and you have. You know, this, the, the contaminants on the train that gets stuck in limbo and big things. And then you have this tiny, you bring it into this microcosm of this tiny little particle, like nanoparticle, that if you breathe it in, mm-hmm. it could stay in your body for 20 years and give you cancer. One of them. One. Mm-hmm. And what do you do? You know, there's, we talk about illnesses and that can be brought on by environment, by genetics, whatever. Some of that you can mitigate by not using certain chemicals or by, you know, living somewhere else, but you can't mitigate that, you know? And so the times they're saying, oh, well, it's the particles are below what we deem to be acceptable. Well, number Mm -hmm. one, do we trust you after what you've said? We should trust Mm -hmm. you. And then it's not okay. And you will never know if you breathed it in. So if they're, you know, they're saying, well, it's, you know, there was only... 20 particles per whatever. Yeah, but if only one, mm-hmm. do you want to take the chance? And I don't know. Anytime, how do they know what's acceptable, what's not? It just seems arbitrary. Mm-hmm. There is science there, but yeah, yeah, there was, 
so many mind blowing things that <laughs> you go from the really big events to the tiny little things mm-hmm. and everything in between. Yeah, I remember being really disturbed by the stuff they were talking about when they were going to clean up the soil, but they weren't going to clean. They were going to clean like the top six inches or something. Mm-hmm. Six inches or six feet. I think it started at just a few inches and oh eventually went down. Yeah, um, yeah, and then scream. and you know yeah. they t- they didn't take into account like soil erosion or the burrowing animals yeah. that would go under there and then come back up and and the plants and the, the grass, plants yeah. right mm-hmm. that would spew it all over and how how the it's not it's not micro curries I don't know what the word Pico is curry. Pico curry yeah what they deemed safe for Rocky Flats and and the refuge was so much higher than yeah. like all these other places that they had cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And you, you just want to, how stupid do you think we are? Right. Oh, yeah. we're, we're stupid. The public is stupid and they're counting on that. They didn't spend that much money yeah. in the long run mm-hmm. on the cleanup. No. What, what was spent on producing. Right. Right. You know. right. right. Yeah. And and not only that, I mean, you have a refuge where you could close it off and just be like, okay, we're just going to let sort of nature do its thing. But but then you have money that comes in, right? Because everything's about money. And we have thousands for years. Well, I mean, especially the last few years, we have thousands of people moving in like every month because now it's the place to live. So now you've got pressure to put houses and now you've yes. got money and you've got developers. And so you had these few developments that were, that were in you know, the 50s and 60s when it was starting Okay, but there was a lot less information. Right. So do yeah. they know? But now everybody knows, and you are literally building on top of this. And there's one particular one that has come up a few times that's out kind of near Golden and uh-huh. by that highway. And, you know, there's, I, I couldn't find if it's current or not, but used to be when they were first starting to be sold, you had to sign part of the paperwork was that you would not grow, you would not eat anything you grew there. Like you basically wouldn't have a garden. You wouldn't eat anything that was grown in your yard. You sign that you wouldn't. Do they explain what? Why? uh, I don't think very clearly. Okay. Yeah. Um, And then there's like, well, now we have a community garden. I'm like, okay, so. (laughs) Oh, it's not different. (laughs) Right. And I couldn't find a whole lot of really in-depth and if it's still, still that way. But, you know, Devin and I were talking about this. If. Do with all these people coming in, right? Like I grew up knowing something about it, right? Um, But you guys, even if you've lived here for several years, may or may not have known. What about all these people moving in and going? Wow, this is a gorgeous, and they're expensive, you know, because everything's expensive here. Like it's unless you're a millionaire, it's unrealistic to try to move here. Just so everybody knows, even if Um, you are a millionaire, yeah. Do they know? Like, what kind of disclosure is there? Are you buying? I don't think people care. Our housing market is so crazy. So you think people are, I mean, it they seems saw, like I mean, it. They're they'll, obviously moving. They're signing. Yeah. They're, they're, they don't care. I mean, I'm sure it's in scientific language that it's like, oh, right. whatever. It's Plutonium totally blah, blah, blah. not apparent. Yeah. When you go to the Rocky Flats Wildlife Refuge right. website, it's yep. all like explanation, explanation, exclamation points. Excuse me. It's just all exclamation points. <laughs> this is a refuge. It's all about wildlife oh. bike trails there is no mention of the history wow. which like s- wow. six inches below the surface and, it's run by fish and wildlife it has beautiful pictures mm-hmm. it has enticing language yeah no mention i find that disturbing mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i mean you go out there on a windy day or, i mean <laughs> it's like and it 
is it really safer if you're taking a bike ride or you're walking out there once or once a month versus you live there? You know, who knows? I don't know. Who knows? And some people might take the risk. They may not. You know, it may not be important to them. They may not take it seriously. Whatever their reason well, it is. it doesn't seem like an immediate but, danger. It seems like a scary yeah. thing from long ago. And Yeah. And if you're moving fine. here, you don't know mm-hmm. all of it. You know. Um, which is why, you know, I think even though this book is what, 11 years old now, mm-hmm. it still has, it will, I think, always have relevance, mm-hmm. you know, up to the, what, 240,000 year half. It will still have relevance. It'll be in reprint for that long. Yeah. And shouldn't the government or someone or the developers or any, you know, the sale of that every home, every time have a disclaimer. The realtor, yeah, should have to say, oh, yeah. And by the way. (laughs) Right. How much of it is taught in Colorado history in the schools? What did you learn about? Did you actually have a thorough history of it that was taught? We didn't have a thorough history of it. No. Uh, I think it probably depends on what classes you're taking. Um, as to what you would know about it. It was much more of a current events kind of thing, you oh, know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, my, my kids haven't mentioned anything about it. I mean, they know because I know because mm-hmm, I told them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you kids have to read this book. Yeah. Makes like, you wonder what other environmental dangers are out there that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I say, filtering it through the fact that, you know, my mom had breast cancer twice mm-hmm. and my dad passed away of cancer. Even on the east side of Denver, was it that? We'll never know. We will never know. But it does make you wonder, especially because they were talking about a lot of these cancers being reproductive. Mm -hmm. And that the whole thing where those neighborhoods, like all these kids, like all these young men and all these, you know, crazy cancers. It's like they're all starting to go, this is weirdly coincidental. But it takes a long time to start kind of connecting dots, Mm -hmm. especially when they're like, oh, we're just making scrubbing bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. at that pay rate yeah so mm-hmm. it it's yeah it's it was so mind-blowing on so many levels and i think her story was so important to add the human that real human element because you can talk about the people that went in and worked in their stories and their stories are incredible about working there and fighting the fires oh in my there. god that 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 oh. chapter on the mm-hmm. The Mother's Day fire? Yeah. Jeez Louise. It's oh, you're hot. You can't go back in. It's like. I could never do it. No. No. And then you think, oh, well, I just, I live over here. I'm okay. We don't work there. Right. We're fine. But then the neighbor's daughter is dead within three months of finding out she's sick. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, yeah. And I'm sure, I wonder how often she's had those cringe moments of, I rode my horse over to Stanley Lake and we dove into it and, mm-hmm. you know. We tromped through the ditches. Well, they had yeah. cancers in her family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 She and her sister and cancer scares and. Yeah. Oh. And-, and like there was that one family where 10 of them worked there, mm-hmm. parents and children and, and cousins and aunt and uncles and like seven out of 10 mm-hmm. had cancer and died. Yeah. That's just horrific. Yeah. And that's where I, I love the fact that she went to work there. I was just like, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's scary that she did, but I'm like, someone had to do the essentially Aaron Brockovich thing. Mm-hmm. Someone had to go in there and go in with the perspective. But of that's not mind. why she went in, right? She no. just needed money. <laughs> she did. But then to be like, I'm not going to accept this. Right. Yeah. I'm going to, instead of just quitting, 
saying, I'll find something different. I'll work two jobs or I will accept it because you have you come to a point. You have to either accept it and keep going mm-hmm. or say enough is enough. No, I'm going to leave. And she kind of, in a way, probably made a sacrifice by staying. Mm-hmm. It was the FBI raid, I think, that mm-hmm. she saw it on the news. Yeah. And then it kind of opened her eyes. Like, I'm not going to go back. I'm not yeah. going back there. Yeah. And, that, and then I want to write a book about that. And there's plutonium in the kitchen. and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the dining hall. Jeez. And everyone's okay with this. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So for many years, the nuclear weapons industry was exempted from environmental regulation because national defense was considered a higher priority. This book reveals the tragic consequences of that exemption. Are there situations in which you believe it is justified to exempt the government, certain industries, or private companies from the law? I really want to say no. Um, I think over and over this book shows that that's a bad idea. And... During the Cold War, there was the secrecy factor, um, which led to not being upfront with the public and with the workers. Um, they, she writes that they viewed plutonium as a savior, to save us from the enemy. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of got away from them um, in this way that they, they could never, <laughs> they could never foresee they could never like get it back it's like a genie in the bottle mm-hmm, absolutely. at the end of the book she closes with the Allen Ginsberg poem and that's super powerful if you want to read that poem um, and he was also one of the protesters I believe walking that road but yeah she just the idea that the government would let those folks know if there was any real danger mm-hmm. and that's a quote from the book I mean that's that failed and it seems like it fails like and again, mm-hmm. um, the way they treated the jurors afterwards. Yeah. yeah. They just spent yeah. two years of their lives investigating this, mm-hmm. putting together their reports and learning all these horrible things. Right. And then they said, okay, somebody finally, somebody needs to be responsible. Mm-hmm. You know, you may have not started out, you know, trying to, you know, affect all these people's health negatively, but you did. And you need, you need to, you need to compensate them for it. And then they were just shut down and the mm-hmm. jurors, you know, were threatened with jail if they spoke about it and yeah and it's still sealed the, that's what's not okay the yeah. report yeah. that they wrote mm-hmm. they were sealed. unhappy right mm-hmm. that there were no indictments there were no criminal mm-hmm. indictments they were unhappy with yeah. that yeah. and they wrote a what do you call it the counter report or i don't know what i don't know yeah, what the, I can't the legal term is but they they there was some shady last minute deal you know behind closed doors it happens so fast thank so you for fast. your time yep go back to your life yep thanks for your help bye yeah. Well, and I really feel like I can't think of any, any exception, but to me, a lot of it comes down to if Rockwell, if the company that took over after had just done it right and kept it as safe as possible, put in redundancies, those kinds of things, they may not have had to say as far as like compromise national security, but could still say, hey, to the people working there, here's some training on this is what this is. This is what it does. This is yeah, why this you is need to be safe. Stuff. And when things are reported, when things are going wrong, they're fixing them. And I remember there was at one point that Rockwell said, well, the demands that the government was putting on us for production caused us to have, we couldn't meet production and mm-hmm. abide by all the EPA regulations. Mm-hmm. Like, And I don't know if they were playing the victim or if it was true that they could not meet both at the same time that it was just unreasonable of the government to to demand both 
But um, so maybe they weren't, maybe they were less, um, I guess, indemnified than it seemed like. But also there was some blatant things that wouldn't have been all that hard to just fix or just keep on top of or just, just you know. be open about. Yes. You know? And not push your workers so much right. and not downplay for them. You know, like, oh, we'll just get back in there. Or, oh, yeah. sorry, it's cracked and sorry, it's leaking and sorry, oops, we'll just put you in another building or. Yeah. We're just um, going to stick them in some barrels and bury them out. It's, it's, it's just that there's a record of, like, no trust. We don't have no broken trust. trust. She wrote, writes, a congressional investigation later that year reveals that the government officials hid behind national security to cover up details of the fire. And it was only the heroic efforts of the firefighters that limited the fire and prevented hundreds of square miles from radiation exposure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From exploding Denver, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So it's been going on so long, and it will still continue. To go. In, right. in capitalist societies, it's all about the money. It is absolutely, and as yeah. long as it's about money and power, we'll never fully know the truth, and we can never fully have trust. Because I was—that's why I was trying to find newer articles, and then the, mm-hmm. the links you put in the newsletter were were really good. Anything from like 2019 on. Mm-hmm. And there's um, Friends of the National Wildlife Refuge was put in this whole welcome to the neighborhood and um, said, oh, I understand your concern, but here's the things. And so their perspective is the government saying it's fine and this and that. And um, there had been, I think the year before, 2020, there was a study that was done that found like 40 different particles or 40 different places that it was too high and so then there was concern like oh it's an outlier mm-hmm. you know so okay so we're back to subgroups saying hey we're testing this and the results are this and the others going oh well it's just so who's right and who's wrong and yeah. i don't know that it's it we're never really going to know but it also i think this this book showed the complexities of is anyone ever especially the people truly we can truly demonize them or truly say they're heroes it's so complicated and there's so many levels of what happened and who did what and for what reason but i think ultimately if our government is going to continue to squelch and continue to work in secret and continue to um downplay anything that goes against what the the narrative they've had for decades, mm-hmm. like for longer than I've been, than, well, all of us have been alive at this table. Um, then how can they ever expect trust? You know, I don't think they care. Right, right. Why should they care well, about they get away with it? One little area in one little state that's you know, but except that it's not because it's New Mexico, it's Utah, it's uh, the Hanford site Tennessee. in Washington. Yeah, Washington, Tennessee. It's. Um, but are we big enough collectively? Will we ever, or could we ever be collective enough to make a no. difference? And all the rest of the country that isn't dealing with it, it understandably is removed enough in their minds. You know, when you, when I watched the documentary about Three Mile Island, I was like, wow, that's really terrible. Yet just by the way the human brain works, I was like, that is really terrible. I am so sorry for them. But that's somewhere else. Yeah. 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 It didn't affect me like yeah, this. Yeah. And then, then I think, you know, we try to put curbs on things with regulation. Mm-hmm. We regulate companies, regulate banks. And then people complain about too much regulation when maybe some regulation's crap and it doesn't do anything. Sure. But there's a balance. It's 
you shouldn't companies shouldn't be able to dump their they shouldn't pollution just be, into yeah. rivers. That I'm regulation with that I'm fine with. Um, yeah. And I don't think there should ever be a time when any company or any corporation or is individual. is indemnified for yeah. their, is is, <laughs> yes. a, is totally like, oh, you will never be found fault. I don't care what they're yeah, making. No, I, agree. I don't care what you know, what their product is, what their service is to say they hold. Yeah, yeah, to say that you will never be held accountable yeah, because those that. companies will ultimately do whatever. If you say, sorry, you can't be sued if you hurt anyone because you made this thing. You know, and it's not just these companies in the book, yeah. you know, but we've got whether it's whether it is finance, whether it's big pharma, oil, whether it's, politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it should not be mining. I mean, geez, we could we could go on and on. Totally. But yeah. yeah on a federal a state, any level should never be completely uh, absolved of responsibility. Yeah. What I find so maddening is like that you had all these great minds developing such yeah. a dangerous thing, and yet there isn't that same level of finance or um, resources like put towards cleaning it up with all mm-hmm. these environmental issues um, that those men, you know, it's just like they, they were paid so much money and the settlement only covered their bonus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that like mm-hmm. took away their yeah. bonus. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, it, there was just so much injustice <laughs> in what happened. They had and, to make their big bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just, I don't know. It feels like we need to, to really think about what we do to go forward from here. Mm-hmm. And, and how do we resolve these issues as a global community? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, they have us at each other's throats about banned books and, and racism and things like that now. It's, we can't concentrate on the big important things, you know. Not that those aren't important, no. but they have us fighting over yeah stuff that doesn't really mean yeah. Really so that to distract you us, don't pay attention to distract us from. I fully believe and to that's distract still so us. conspiracy theory, but no, it's true. No, it is. But the but whole, it feels like, like nuclear it. energy, I and mean, that's still used by many yeah. different countries, uh-huh. and it's still producing waste. And this is not going away, right? Yeah. Because now we still have all the drums and all the things being stored. I mean, there's yeah, a huge vault in Utah. There's a big vault in Utah, okay. one of them, and it's kind of like underground and sealed off and all that. But okay, so you put it there and you kind of seal it off. Until it starts leaking. Right, but for how long, if the half-life is that much? Mm-hmm. And we never used it. Hopefully we never do. But yeah, it begs the question. One of the guys in the video said that those drums were only built to hold that stuff for a year. And at one point, they were there for five years before they even put them on the train. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then buried them in Utah somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, see, we push things. It's like our trash, right? Yeah. You throw it. Like, there is no throwaway. There's no way. It goes somewhere. But it, you're not seeing it. Right. You're not smelling it. So you just don't even yep. think of it. And it's the same with this stuff. Oh, well, we'll just remove it. And it's somewhere else. Out of sight, out of mind. Right. Out of mind. Right. Yeah. It will, and finally, we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna run out of places to something bad's gonna happen to away things. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, she she writes that when she was working at Rocky Flats, the DOE projected um, that it would take until 2065, nearly 100 years, my family moved to Bridaldale, and more than 36 billion to clean up the nuclear waste. There was some question as to whether they even had the technology to clean it up. And some non-DOE scientists talked about making it a national sacrifice zone completely closed off. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, wouldn't that be better than 
having it as a wildlife refuge where people are going and animals are eating the grass and yeah i would think so i mean it's a lot of scientists said this is what you got to do you want to be safe and then how far does it extend because like right. the wind blows, and so do you shut down all of Denver? Right. You can't put a bubble around it, no. right? Yeah. Do you move everybody out? Do you where do you draw? I mean, because if you not draw, let birds fly over. I mean, right. right. You draw a line at this road so that everything is perfectly safe on one side of it and not on the other. It's ridiculous, right? It will always come back to haunt us, you know. And in this case, it, it will for. A very, very, and how very do you make long it time. safe for future right. humans if there are future humans. And right. So, what other... should we have done during the Cold War? Should we have just sat on our thumbs? And I'm, I'm which is a great a question. question. Absolutely, because in a sense, we couldn't do that either, because we did need to be safe. And we, you know, it's like, okay, well, kind of have to match what they're doing uh, with the other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it's there's no answer. It's easy to look back, obviously. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Still and I'm not saying we should have done that or anything. But yes. we don't. We're still creating nuclear weapons. Today, I don't know. We have a lot I'm of sure we are somewhere weapons. in a secret bunker somewhere. Yeah. But we, yeah, but it's a different kind of concern now, like you said, than it was back then. It was very, very um, scary. I mean, that's back when they were still doing the drills, grab a, you know, get under your desk mm-hmm. and that kind of like, that'll, save, that'll you. save you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we don't to the same extent have that concern, have that fear. We're not doing those kinds of things. So definitely changes how we think about it and yeah. changes. But we, we're very, decisions we make. we're very, um, I think focused on the present. Yes. We never, reactionary in the media yeah we very rarely look ahead at what's this going to do in the future and right i think we're doing that with climate change i think we're doing that all kinds of things just looking at the immediate oh no there's a problem without taking some time to say well what's you know what's going to be the possible ramification of what we're doing now Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because it a lot of it goes back to fear. Mm-hmm. So we were afraid, you know, of what was happening in the Soviet Union in those places. So we needed to do something. Mm-hmm. But then there there probably needed to be a little bit more fear of what we were making. Now we have fear of what's how do we take care of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and not so some of it can be good fear. Mm-hmm. And some of it can be fear that causes us to be too reactionary. Right. Like, so did they look and say, okay, we know now what the half-life is. So going into this, we need a plan of what to do for the next several thousands of years of the of the, the leftovers. Mm-hmm. Or what? Mm-hmm. no, should we have? Probably. But would that have even been effective? Right. Did they have a plan they could have put in place that would have made a difference? Things like. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Yeah, I don't know. Just a lowly librarian. <laughs> <laughs> so, our last question. Do you feel comfortable visiting the refuge? <laughs> no. 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 That's too bad. Right. Because and I'd like to know, you know, anybody listening, um, you know, if you've visited the refuge, if you have some feedback, mm-hmm. um, let us know. We'll be yeah. interested to know. Maybe even if you've bought a house over there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Did you know? Did you know? Well, thanks, Denise, Devin, and Jana for a discussion of Full Body Burden. It was a good one. It was very good.
This month's newsletter is full of additional information, links and read-alikes. Um, the video Devin was talking about is up there. All kinds of good stuff. So to subscribe to that, you can click on the information in the program notes. For our next episode, we are reading a frequently banned young adult book, Out of Darkness, by Ashley Hope Perez. Banned Books Week is October 1st through the 7th this year. So to do a quick uh, plug for an upcoming program, on Saturday, October 7th, we are hosting the Outlaw Production Collective um, Books on the Chopping Block. It's a performance. And it will include live dramatic readings by professional actors of short experts taken from the top most frequently challenged books in the U.S. for the past year. There will be a Q&A with the actors after the performance. This performance is best for those 13 and older, and the time is from 2 p.m. to 3.30 p.m. So please uh, sign up for that or make sure you put it on your calendar. Uh, Out of Darkness is loosely based on a school explosion that took place in New London, Texas in 1937. And is a story of two teenagers, Naomi, who is Mexican, and Wash, who is Black, and their dealings with race, segregation, love, and the forces that destroy people. And according to the American Library Association, Out of Darkness has been challenged 50 times and was the fourth most challenged book in 2021. Out of Darkness is available in regular print and e-audiobook formats from the Longmont Public Library. So choose your favorite format, read or listen to the book, and join the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. See our podcast notes for details 